0: Well, hello Friends Church. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Chris Ward and I'm the teaching pastor here at our Yorba Belinda campus. And to all of you who are a part of our Friends Church family all over the place today, I want to wish you all a very happy New Year. And I want to let you know that I consider it such a privilege to be with you here today to open up God's Word together on this New Year's Day service. And so if you have your Bibles handy right now, I'd encourage you to open them up to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. And as you turn there, You know, as I was thinking about what to talk about here on this first service of the new year, I was thinking of the opportunity that a new year provides us to start fresh and to look at things with a new perspective. And that reminded me of a tradition that I would imagine many of you are participating in today, and that is the time-honored tradition of making New Year's resolutions, those commitments that we make to ourselves to try and ensure that this coming year is different, is better than the one before it. And So thinking that many of you are probably going to be doing that today, I did some research this past week on New Year's resolutions. And I found out that they're not all that they're cracked up to be. Did you know, for example, according to one study that I found that by January 31st, only 64% of people are still keeping the resolutions that they made on New Year's Day. And according to that same study, less than 50% of people are still sticking to that resolution six months later. That's why I love this quote I found online. Someone said this, they said, I don't call them New Year's resolutions. I prefer to call them casual promises to myself that I am under no legal obligation to fulfill. And that sounds about right, doesn't it? But that being said, I do think there is something about the opportunity the start of a new year gives us to reflect on life and to evaluate where we are versus where we want to be. That's why I don't think there's anything wrong with New Year's resolutions. But what I started thinking about this past week is what if instead of making the normal resolutions that people make at this time of year, resolutions to lose weight or eat healthier and so on, what if instead we decided to make resolutions that included God in them? What if we made resolutions that we knew that God was a part of, that God approved of? And therefore, what if we made resolutions this year that we knew that we could have God's help in? Don't you think we would be a lot more successful in the commitments that we made if we involve God in them? I think we might be. So what would those sort of resolutions look like? Well, one of the ways to think about them is to work backwards. You see, one of the things that we believe as Christians is that our time on this earth is not all that there is. It's really just a drop in the bucket compared to the time that we will spend in eternity. And we believe that the Bible teaches us that there is going to be one very important moment that stands between us and eternity, a moment when each and every one of us is going to have to stand before God and God is going to examine our life. And we believe as Christians that that moment is the most important moment of our entire existence. Why? Because that is the moment that determines what our eternity is going to look like. So, if we want to make resolutions this year that involve God, if we want to make commitments this year that God would approve of, then I would think that it would make sense to begin thinking about that moment that we stand before God and to begin working backwards. To start making decisions to start making resolutions and commitments for our life based on that and that's exactly what i want to talk about here today and that's exactly what the passage that i want to take a look at today in second timothy 4 is all about i want to pick it up here in verse 6 of 2nd timothy 4 the apostle paul is writing here and he says this he says for i'm already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. And we'll stop right there. And this is such a rich passage of scripture. The background for this passage is that the book of 2 Timothy that we're in today is the last book we have written by the Apostle Paul, one of the early followers of Jesus, and probably the person who did more for Christianity than anybody save Jesus himself. But as Paul writes 2 Timothy, he is sitting in prison for his faith. He was arrested for telling others about Jesus. And Paul knows that his imprisonment will end up in his death, and indeed it did. That's what Paul is talking about in verse six, when he says that the time for his departure is near. Paul knows that he is about ready to depart this world. He knows that he's about ready to leave this life and go to the next. That's why in verse eight, the last verse in this passage, Paul talks about that moment that I just talked about, that moment when he has to stand before God. As he says in verse eight, he knows there's coming a day when he is gonna have to stand before the righteous judge, before Jesus, the one who is going to examine his life. But what's interesting to me about verse 8 is the confidence that paul has about that moment paul indicates in this verse that he is sure that he is going to be rewarded by god in that moment as he says there he knows that he's going to receive the crown of righteousness from jesus himself and what paul is likely talking about there is not that he believes he's going to receive a literal crown that he's going to wear in heaven though that may be possible But instead, what Paul likely means by that is he knows that when he stands before God, he's going to be rewarded with righteousness. God's going to set Paul eternally free from the sins and the temptations that plagued him here on this earth. And no, Paul doesn't say that God's going to do this only for him. No, at the end of verse 8, Paul makes it clear that God is going to do this for everyone who lives their life for Jesus. That's the confidence that Paul expresses here. But that raises a question, in my opinion. How can Paul be so confident that the moment that he stands before God is going to go well for him? How does he know that he's gonna receive God's reward in that moment? Well, on one hand, obviously Paul knows what we proclaim week after week in church, that it's only by God's grace through our faith in Jesus Christ that we are saved. And so since Paul has put his faith in Jesus, he knows that he will be in heaven at the end of time. But on the other hand, it's also clear from this passage that at least part of Paul's confidence about that moment he stands before God comes from the way that he lived his life. It comes from what Paul was committed to in this life. And it's these commitments that Paul unfolds for us in verse 7 of this passage. And it is verse 7, brothers and sisters, that I want to spend the rest of our brief time here today focusing on. Because what Paul gives us in verse 7 are three statements that all of us who follow Jesus would want to be able to say about our own lives as we get closer to seeing God face to face. In other words, what I believe Paul gives us in verse 7 are the resolutions of a Christ follower and not just the New Year's resolutions of a Christ follower, but the life resolutions of a Christ follower. In verse 7, we find three commitments that allow us to live and lie to the most important moment in our existence, that moment that we stand before God and we hear his verdict on our lives. So, what exactly is it that Paul was committed to in his life and what are we to commit our life to as well? Well, the first thing that Paul says he has committed his life to is that he has committed his life to holiness. Paul has committed his life to holiness. This is what you see at the beginning of verse seven. When Paul says this, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have fought the good fight, Paul says. And that mention of a fight there, it's it's kind of interesting, isn't it? The Greek word that is translated fight there is the Greek word from which we get our English word agonize. And I find that a little bit curious. I mean, I thought the Christian life is to be one of joy. Why does Paul describe it here as agonizing, as a fight? Well, it's because that's how the Bible describes the Christian life at times, as a fight, as a battle. And definitely the biggest battle that we are engaged in in this life is the battle against our sin, the battle to live the holy life that God wants us to live. As I was studying this passage this past week, I couldn't help but think of another verse in our Bibles that talks about the battle that we are engaged in in this life. That verse is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4. We'll put it on the screen. And the author of Hebrews is talking about sin here. And listen to what he says. He says this. He says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Let me read that again because that's an intense verse. He says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And here the author describes our battle against sin in terms of a struggle. And the Greek word translated struggle here in Hebrews is also an intense word. It's actually the Greek word from which we get our English word antagonize. And according to the book of Hebrews here is that's what we're supposed to do with sin. We're supposed to antagonize it. We're supposed to battle it like it's an enemy because guess what? It is. And returning to 2 Timothy 4 here as Paul nears the end of his life, he says, that's what I've done. He's fought the good fight against sin. He's antagonized the sin in his life. Now, understand that obviously Paul doesn't mean by that that he never sinned. No, Paul likely still sinned from time to time. But instead, what Paul means by that statement here is that he didn't take sin lightly. He did what he could by the power of God's spirit within him to fight temptation and to be committed to a lifetime of holiness. Paul was committed to holiness. And as we head into this new year, What a great thing for us to be committed to as well. You know, I was thinking this past week how probably the most common New Year's resolution that people make is the resolution to eat healthy in the new year, especially after the month of December with all of its candies and sweets. There's a recognition that we have of the importance of not filling our physical body with unhealthy things. Well, guess what? We are every bit as much spiritual as we are physical. And what candy and what chocolate is to our physical lives, sin is to our spiritual lives, even worse, it may taste good, but it's ultimately not good for us. That's why as we head into this new year, I wanna ask you this question around the idea of being committed to holiness. And that question is this, what sinful actions and attitudes do you need to fight against in your life in 2023? What sinful actions and attitudes can you wage war against in your life in this new year? Maybe this is the year, for example, where you decide to wage war against drunkenness, against sexual sin, against gossip or foul language that has started to become more frequent in your life. Or maybe this is the year when you decide to get serious about fighting cynicism or pride or other negative and destructive attitude that you've allowed yourself to become complacent about. These are some of the unhealthy actions and attitudes that can take a toll on us spiritually. And they're not what God wants for us. God wants us to be holy. That's what pleases Him and that's what's best for us. So how can we be committed to holiness in this new year? But I'll tell you what, holiness is not the only thing that Paul says he was committed to in his life. Paul also makes it clear that he was committed to his purpose. Paul was committed to his purpose. That's what Paul is referring to in the middle of verse seven. When he says this, he says, I have finished the race. Not only does Paul say that he has fought the good fight, but he also says that he has finished the race. And what most scholars believe that Paul is talking about here is he's referring to the unique calling that God has placed on his life. You see, one of the things that the Bible makes clear is that God gave Paul a very specific purpose on this earth. Paul was to preach the good news of Jesus to those who didn't know Jesus. And as Paul nears the end of his life and as he reflects on it, it's clear that he believes that he has done that well. He has lived his life committed to the purpose that God gave him. And what a great thing for us to be committed to as we start this new year. You know, One of the things I I really strongly believe, brothers and sisters, is that there is a calling that God has placed on each and every one of our lives. Each one of us has been given a unique race that God wants us to run. And what is that race? Well, more often than not, the race that God wants us to run, the calling that God has given us, is to use the gifts he has given us and the places that he has placed us so that we can tell others about Jesus. That in our schools, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, we would model with both our words and our actions what a transformed life of following Jesus looks like. That's the purpose that God has given each one of us. That's the race we are to be running. But it's easy in this life to be distracted in that purpose. And it's easy in this life to start running other races, isn't it? It's easy, for example, to begin using the gifts and the talents that God gave us for ourselves and not for God, or it's easy to begin using what God has given us to pursue material things instead of pursuing the meaningful relationship with others that God cares so deeply about. Well, here's what we need to understand, okay? When we stand before God at the end of time, brothers and sisters, What's gonna matter is not whether or not we've made a name for ourselves on this earth. No, instead, what's gonna matter is whether or not we've made a name for God. And when we stand before God at the end of time, he's not gonna care about the amount of stuff that we've accumulated during our time on this earth. No, instead, he's gonna wanna know about the number of people that we have pointed towards Jesus. That's our purpose. That's our calling. And that's why as we head into this new year, I have a second question for you. And that is this. What distractions would God have you eliminate this year? so that you can fulfill his purposes for you? What distractions would God have you get rid of this year so that you can run the race that he has for you in this new year? Maybe it's time that some of us, for example, begin to take a look at our calendar and begin crossing off those activities. that get in the way of the church, that get in the way of time with God, that get in the way of a quality time with other people. It's not that those other things that we are doing are bad, but you've probably all heard the saying before, sometimes the good can be the enemy of the best. And there are good things that might be getting in the way of the best things that God has for us. There is a purpose that God has for each and every one of us. There is a race that God wants us to finish. So let's not only be committed to holiness in this new year. Let's also be committed to our purpose. I have fought the good fight, Paul says. I have finished the race. And then there is one more thing that Paul says he was committed to in this life. And that is that he was committed to his faith. He was committed to his relationship with Jesus. That's what Paul means at the end of verse seven when he says quite simply, I have kept the faith. I have kept the faith, Paul says. And what Paul means by this is, listen, if you know anything about Paul's life, then you know that Paul's time on this earth, it was filled with hardships. Several times, for example, he was beaten. Several times he was in prison. At times he even went without having enough to eat. And any one of those circumstances could have marked a time when Paul decided to turn his back on God, but he didn't do that. And all the difficulties of his life, Paul stayed with Jesus. He kept the faith. And I know that there is nothing more important for you and me than that, our own relationship with Jesus. There's nothing more important than our commitment to Jesus and staying close to him. There is nothing more important than doing what we can to deepen and strengthen our faith in God in this new year. And that's what leads to the final question I want to ask you today. And that is this, what can you do to strengthen your faith in 2023? What can you do to deepen your relationship with Jesus in 2023? You know, if there's one thing that the last few years have shown us brothers and sisters, it's that we have no idea what challenges will be thrown our way. That's why we need to make sure that our faith is grounded, able to weather any storm that we face. So what are we doing to ensure that our faith goes deeper in this new year? Well, I wanna let you know that at Friends Church, we have things to help you in this area. First of all, across all of our campuses, we have a new sermon series starting next weekend entitled, All Things New. And in this series, we're gonna be discussing some of the foundational practices that mark us as a church. And as a part of this series, we're gonna be giving you tangible ways to deepen your faith in this coming year. So why don't you make a commitment right now to attend every week in this series so that you can start this year off strong. And then finally, we have an incredible ministry here at Friends Church called Rooted. This is a 10-week small group experience that will help you both meet other Christians on this journey of faith and will help you deepen your connection with God, His church, and His purpose for you. And I really believe that Rooted is one of the best things that we do here to give you a kickstart in your faith. So if you've never done Rooted before, now is the time to do it. And to find out when Rooted is going to be started at your campus, go to friends.church and click on your campus's website. And those are just three of the many things that we have in store in this new year to help us all focus on what God wants us to focus on. And that's what leads to my close here. You know, I don't know if you can tell this, brothers and sisters, but I love the new year. And that's because I love new beginnings and fresh starts. And by the way, and more importantly, so does our God. In fact, one of the things that the Bible tells us is that God's mercies are new every morning. And what that means is that every day with God is a brand new day to align ourselves with him and his desires for our life. We don't have to wait until January 1st every year to do that. Every day provides a new opportunity to start fresh. But I will say this, there's something about the beginning of a new year that provides for us that extra motivation that we might need to get things started right. That's why as we start 2023 together, Doesn't it make sense to commit ourselves to the things that we know God himself would want us to be committed to? To fight the good fight, to be committed to holiness, to finish the race, to be committed to the purpose, the calling that God has for us, and to keep the faith, to be committed to strengthening and deepening our relationship with Jesus. Let me tell you something, okay? If we do that, not only can we have confidence that there will be a reward that awaits us in eternity, but we can also have confidence that we won't have to face this year alone. We will have God and we will have one another encouraging us every step of the way. I can't think of a better way to start this new year than with the knowledge of that. And that's why as we close here today, let's bow our heads together and let's ask for God's blessing on what's in store for us. Would you pray with me? Father, we just thank you for the opportunity that a new year provides us just to start fresh, God. Father, no matter what this past year was like, Lord, in some ways, God, it doesn't matter because as your word tells us, your new mercies are new every morning and we get an opportunity today to to start again, to start fresh with you, to start fresh in our lives, Lord. And so God, I pray as we head into this new year, Father, that we would be focused and committed to the things that you want us to be committed to. We would be committed to holiness, God. We would be committed to our purpose and we would be committed to strengthening and deepening our relationship with your son, Jesus, God. And Father, we would recognize that as we do that, not only do we have you to help us every step of the way, but God, we also have a church family who's all doing the same thing and we can encourage one another on. And so Father, as we begin this new year, Lord, I just ask for your blessing upon every single person who calls Friends Church home, Lord. I pray, God, that this would be a year that is filled with, if nothing else, just a a, a deeper and stronger faith and relationship in you, God so that in everything we do, we can turn to you and feel your presence with us. And so, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity that we get at the beginning of this new year just to get things started right, Lord. And Father, I just pray that you would keep us filled with joy and excitement for what's in store for us. We love you, Father. We thank you. And we ask all of this in your Son's name. Amen.